It's good to be here again uh, to worship with you and invite you to uh, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5. If you have a copy of God's Word, um, Matthew chapter 5, as we'll consider the Sermon on the Mount, first 16 verses. Um, it's a joy to be here. Thank you for those who have hosted me and fed me and taken uh, good care of me. Uh, as of yesterday when I flew in, it's been a joy to be here and again thankful to worship with you this morning. Uh, with that in mind, let's hear God's word from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he came, he sat down. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thus far as the reading of God's word, let us pray and ask for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your inerrant, inspired, and infallible word. We thank you that you speak to us, uh, we who are sinners and uh, who have broken your law at every point. Uh, we thank you that you have had mercy upon us in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his imputed righteousness that we may enter your throne room of grace and worship and praise you and your Son. We pray now that as we hear your word that you would be pleased to grant us the ministry of your Spirit, to give us ears to hear a heart to receive, and a mind to understand. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, um, Jesus has continued to talk about the kingdom of heaven. He's mentioned this name, this word, a number of times. The Gospel of the kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven. You'll notice uh, in the previous chapter, chapter 4, verse uh, 17, he calls his disciples to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he goes around all the regions of Galilee and Samaria and the surrounding cities, verse 23, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Jesus is concerned to teach and talk about the kingdom of heaven. And in chapter 4, his ministry is to the whole of the people. But when we get to chapter 5, Jesus specifically focuses on his disciples and begins to teach his disciples what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. 
And so you see in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5 that he sees the crowds, ascends up a mountain, and his disciples come to him and he begins to teach them. And so he wants to teach them what life is like in the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live in God's kingdom? What, what do the citizens in God's kingdom look like? What kind of behavior do they have? Um, what, what makes them distinctive from the culture around them? What kind of citizens live in God's kingdom? What is their character like? And what kind of influence do they have on the world around them? And so those are the two headings that will divide our time this morning. The character of kingdom citizens and the influence of kingdom citizens. The character of kingdom citizens is specifically the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 12. They mark the character of a Christian. And verses 13 through 16 mark the influence of kingdom citizens. So firstly, the character of kingdom citizens. Notice that these Beatitudes teach us about who belongs to the kingdom. Look with me in verse 3 and verse 10. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The beginning and the end are about those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Each of these beatitudes describe the citizens in the kingdom of heaven, and every one of them begins with the same word, blessed. So those who live in the kingdom of heaven are a blessed people. You, who have repented of your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, are in God's kingdom right now. You are a blessed people. You are a blessed people because you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, as we look at these Beatitudes, I'm convinced that that we can break them up into perhaps three sections. Three sections of blessedness. Firstly, blessed are those who yearn for righteousness. Secondly, blessed are those who yield righteousness or produce righteousness. And thirdly, blessed are those who suffer for righteousness. And you'll notice in all three of those things, the the main concern is righteousness. Blessed are those who yearn for righteousness. Blessed are those who yield or produce righteousness. And blessed are those who suffer for righteousness. So I I believe in those first four beatitudes, we are um, confronted with disciples and citizens in the kingdom of heaven who yearn for righteousness. Notice with me, just in those first four, that they are poor in spirit. They are those who mourn. They are meek. They hunger and they thirst. Do you see this this sense of, of yearning, of longing in each of these beatitudes? The citizens in the kingdom of heaven yearn for something. They long for something. They are in need of something. Those in God's kingdom right now are a needy people. They are a needy people who yearn and long for something, desperately needy, destitute, poor, mourning over sin and unrighteousness in the world, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They are a needy people. Now, what is it that they need? What is it that they stand in need of? It's not justification. Righteousness is not communicating justification here because these are people who are already in the kingdom. So it's not justification, nor is it... it, um, It's not that they lack the kingdom of God either. No, these are those who live in God's kingdom right now. So what do they stand in need of? What do they yearn for? Specifically in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They yearn for righteousness. 
Righteousness here is not speaking of the forensic imputed righteousness of Christ. Rather, the righteousness here that Jesus is communicating is a righteousness of justice and equity. Justice in our land. The Christian longs for righteousness. He can look on in the world around us and see that this is a very unjust and evil world that we live in. And so we as Christians, those in the kingdom of heaven, long for true righteousness, biblical righteousness, God's righteousness to pervade in the culture around us. That is what we yearn and long for. And we can see the unrighteousness in our culture so clearly, especially I think just in the last number of years, turn on the news, any social media platform, you can see the degree of of murder, of rape, of kidnapping, trafficking, perjury, lies, evil, slander, all of this is in our culture around us. It's easy to see. And we as Christians, those in the kingdom of heaven, long and yearn for a righteous land, righteousness to dwell. We hunger and thirst after it. And so we are a poor people. We know that righteousness does not abound here. People get away with sin and get away with murder and evil. And so we long for righteousness and we, we mourn. We are those who mourn that, that the righteous standard of God is not pervasive in our culture around us, that the sin in the culture around us causes us to mourn. The unrighteousness, the evil, the wrongdoing, the wickedness, these things creating us a, a mourning and a weeping. It grieves us to see the unrighteousness in our culture around us. And, and, and we are meek. We are meek towards the culture around us. We're not those that are fighting for this world. We're not trying to Uh, win this world we're not trying to conquer the world around us we are those who seek above and above above and all the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and so the righteousness here that Jesus is talking about is specifically the righteousness of Christ's kingdom the righteousness that Christ will bring this this perhaps you may be thinking what, what difference is this between the Christian and the non-Christian? There are plenty of non-Christians who hunger for a righteous and just world. There are plenty of non-Christians out there that would like our world to be a more just society. So what makes this hungering and thirsting after righteousness distinctively Christian? What about this longing and yearning for righteousness is distinctively a Christian longing? It's not as though we just want the best political leader who uphold certain values and norms in our culture. That's, we want that. We pray for that just as Peter or just as Paul instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. We pray for our political leaders. We pray for our president and vice president and heads of Congress and these sorts of things. We want to promote justice in our world around us. But more than anything, more than that, we long for the justice and righteousness of Christ's kingdom here on the earth. We want and long for Christ to come back and consummate his kingdom and establish his kingdom in this earth now. We want more than the best political leader. We want the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and rule and reign unhindered on this earth. We long for sin and unrighteousness to be completely abolished and exiled from this land. We want Christ's righteousness to rule and reign and dwell in the world around us. Simply put, we yearn and long for the new heavens and the new earth. 
We long for the day when Christ's kingdom will fully come and there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering, no more evil, no more unrighteousness, no more Satan, no more evil. That is the kingdom that we long for above and beyond any other political party or political leader or any other cultural values or things of that nature. We long for Christ to come and Christ to consummate and establish his kingdom on the earth. Do you yearn for this? Do you long for, for Satan to be cast out? Do you long for evil to be exiled from the world around us? You see the unrighteousness in our culture. And we go further and long and hope and look forward to the day when Christ will exile sin from our land and establish his kingdom where there will be no more enemy, no more sin, no more sorrow. Christ will reign supreme with no opposers. And notice the, 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 the reassuring future promises of those who long for this. There are future promises attached to this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, verse 6. They will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. They will be filled because we can be absolutely certain and positive that Christ will establish his kingdom and it will be unhindered. We may be poor and needy now, but Christ's kingdom will come. He will establish his kingdom. And we can be comforted, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When Christ's kingdom comes, we will be comforted. There will be no more tears. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. In verse 5, we will inherit the earth. Christ is coming back to redeem his people and establish a new heavens and a new earth here where there will be no more sin and no more suffering and no more sorrow. And so we yearn for this kind of righteousness. We yearn for the righteousness of Christ's kingdom to come and reign supreme in our world, for evil to be cast out and abolished. But not only do we yearn for the consummation of Christ's kingdom, in the meantime, we also yield or manifest this righteousness as well. We yield this kind of righteousness. And you see that in the, the next three Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, and blessed are the peacemakers. In the meantime, we are called to be a people who demonstrate mercy. Mercy to people around us. Mercy is the alleviation of misery. It's more than just a sentimental feeling. In the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, it is... Um, pity plus an action. It is not merely pity, but it is the willingness to alleviate the one who is in a miserable situation. We can think of the Good Samaritan specifically. He not only felt compassion or pity on the man who was suffering, but he actually alleviated him from his misery and suffering. He went out of his way to alleviate his suffering. So we as people, as people in the citizen, as citizens in God's kingdom, are called to be a merciful people. And why? Look at the, the end of verse 7, because we have received mercy. We have received such mercy from God, and we know that on the last day when we stand before Christ, he will have mercy on us because of what Christ has done and because of our trust in him. But not only are we to be a merciful people, but we are to be a people pure in heart, Pure here means sincerity. 
um, single-mindedness, without division or mixture or hypocrisy. We are to be a people who uphold righteousness, who are sincere and pure in our relationships, in our business practices, in our agreements, in our covenants, in our contracts, in all that we engage in. We are to be a people who are pure in heart. Or as John Stott puts it, their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. Their very heart is pure, unmixed with anything devious, ulterior, or base. We uphold the standard of righteousness. We demonstrate purity in our consciences, purity in our behavior, purity in our actions. We demonstrate this kind of righteousness. We yield this kind of righteousness to the culture around us. And moreover, uh, thirdly, we demonstrate and exercise peace. We are peacemakers. The text doesn't say peacekeepers. It says peacemakers, meaning that we are we're not content for there just to be peace and to shove problems under the rug and pretend like nothing bad happened and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll turn a blind eye. No, peacemakers actually go out of their way to produce peace. They enter into the conflict with the goal and the aim that peace would be the outcome. And so we, as those who are yielding and demonstrating righteousness, we go and seek to make peace with the culture around us. Calvin said, peacemakers are those who not only avoid quarrels, but who are also those who labor, labor to settle differences among others, to advise all men to live at peace and to take every occasion take away every occasion of hatred and strife. We are those who seek peace, who pursue peace, who wish to establish peace and make peace. So we as citizens in the kingdom of God, we yearn for Christ's righteousness and the kingdom of God to come. In the meantime, we yield the kind of righteousness that is requisite for those who are in the kingdom, namely mercy, peace, and um, purity of heart. Now, what is, what is the, the outcome of those who yearn for this kind of righteousness and yield this kind of righteousness? How will the world treat people like this? Verse 10 through 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake. This is how the world treats those who yearn for righteousness and manifest this righteousness. The persecuted here, it's not as though we seek persecution. It's not as though we go out of our way to create persecution. No, persecution is merely the response of the world to someone who is righteous, to someone who longs for righteousness, for someone who longs for Christ's kingdom to come. And the world will always persecute the righteous just in the same way as it was with Christ he manifested righteousness. He proclaimed the coming of the kingdom. And his righteousness exposed the unrighteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that provoked a hostility and a anger and persecution towards Christians. So when we yearn for righteousness, when we yield this kind of righteousness, the response from the world will be a degree of persecution on the righteous, on those who yearn and yield for this kind of righteousness, but that is a blessing. It is a blessing. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution isn't exactly a blessing in and of itself, 
But the blessing is that we are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Peter and, uh, Peter and John in Acts chapter 5, they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, the world identifies you with Jesus Christ. And that is what makes persecuted for righteousness' sake a blessing. So that is the character of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the character of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. They yearn for righteousness. They yield righteousness. And as a result of those things, the world persecutes them for that kind of righteousness. But what about the influence that kingdom citizens have on the world around them? What kind of influence will these righteous Christians have on the, the unrighteous world around them? They will be like salt in the midst of the earth and light in the midst of a dark world. If Christians are salt, what does that tell us about the world around us? The world around us is decaying, putrefying. The world is in need of a preservative. God has placed Christians in this world to preserve the culture around them. Christians were some of the first people to actually establish and build hospitals and care for the poor and these things of this nature. Christians are those who preserve the culture and the society around them because they were upholding the righteousness of Christ's standard and kingdom. And that is what preserves the culture around them. But notice how this is put in the negative, actually. He just simply says in a positive, you are the salt of the earth, but if your saltiness has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? Now, I'm, I'm convinced that um, I wanted to preach all 16 of these verses because I'm convinced that the influence that the Christian has in the world is directly related to all the Beatitudes that precede it. That kind of character determines the influence in the world. Character always determines influence. The beatitude-like character, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, manifesting the righteous standard of God's kingdom, those kinds of things have a profound influence on the world around us. And when we fail to manifest these qualities in the beatitudes, these character traits, that's when, when salt has lost its taste and it's become useless. The most useful thing about the church and the Christian today and the world around us is the fact that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we long for Christ's kingdom more than an earthly kingdom. That has a profound influence on the world around us. And that is the kind of salt that we are to be in the culture, the decaying culture around us. But not only salt, we are also called to be light. You are the light of, a world, of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The Christian who manifests these beatitudes, the church who manifests these beatitudes, who yearns for the righteousness of Christ's kingdom, who yields Christ's righteousness, those who manifest this kind of righteousness are a light in an extremely dark world. Because we long for truth, we long for righteousness, we long for justice, we long for holiness, we long for peace in our land, we long for mercy and purity and all of these sorts of things. The longing for this is a bright light in a dark world, in a dark culture, because the world doesn't long for all the same things. So we as Christians are called to let our light shine, to not place that light under a basket 
which is exactly the same thing I was mentioning earlier, that when we refrain from the Beatitudes and refrain from yielding righteousness, yearning for righteousness, and no longer demonstrate the character of those in the kingdom of God, then we're putting a lamp, uh, a shade on the lamp, on the light, and no longer allowing Christ's righteousness to shine through us. And that's, that's the whole point, is that Christ's righteousness, His righteous standard would shine through God's people to a dark world around us so that the goal of all of this in verse 16, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that is our longing. That is our, our, our aim. We long for people to see the church and give glory to the Father because of this kind of righteousness. That is what we long for. We long for all men on the planet, men and women, to glorify our God, to praise God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we manifest this righteousness in our speech, in our actions, in our words, our deeds, our behavior, all of these sorts of things. This is the influence that kingdom citizens have on the world around us. Salt like a preservative, preserving the, the decaying culture from putrefaction and things of this nature. And light, illuminating the dark world to the, to the true hope where true righteousness is found, where the true kingdom is found. It's not of this world. The true place of security, of hope, the true kingdom is in Christ's kingdom that will come and the new heavens and the new earth. So we as kingdom citizens are a blessed people. Blessed are those who manifest this righteousness, who yearn for this kind of righteousness. And Christ is pleased to, through that righteousness, to give glory to his Father through the righteousness of his people. So we, as the people of God, demonstrate this righteousness, yield this kind of righteousness, and even though we may be persecuted for that righteousness, we are a blessed people because God is glorified in the midst of all of it, and sinners will be brought to repentance through the proclamation of the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God. We thank you for his work on our behalf. We thank you for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that will come. Father, we long for the kingdom of righteousness to dwell. We long for a land and a place where purity will be upheld and holiness and righteousness and justice and inequity. We long for the consummation of Christ's kingdom. Father, ultimately our longing is found in the new heavens and the new earth, and so we pray that you would come quickly, O Father, come quickly, Jesus Christ, and deliver your people from all sorrow and sin and suffering and oppression and, and build your kingdom on the earth and the four corners of the world and establish righteousness through his kingdom. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.